What's up, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Kevin Harlander from First Light. And in this episode, Kevin talks to us about a bunch of different topics regarding hunting in the backcountry, about having the proper gear set up, the mental game, uh, and some other some tips and tricks of hunting some uh, mule deer out in, in Utah for this upcoming hunt for us. So really big thank you to Kevin for coming on. It was a great pleasure to talk to him. I had a lot of fun recording this one. And uh, so hopefully you guys like it as much as I did recording it. So honestly, thank you again, everyone, for the continued support, especially thank you to all of our amazing partners, some new stuff coming out from them. So be sure to check them out over on our website over at antlerupoutdoors.com. And over the weekend, Dimitri, Tim, and I got together for a full day of Utah prep. We hiked, we shot our bows, we continued to put our plan together. We pulled up Onyx maps from our computers and we continued to get our plan, just kind of the final puzzle pieces together. And uh, the one feature that we used uh, this past weekend and that we didn't do previously was to begin to download some offline maps on Onyx. Uh, it's such a fun and actually really easy feature to use. All you do is click download offline map, save it, and use it. That simple. Uh, so now when we're up in Utah, we'll be able to use these maps to help us get around. Heck, you could do this obviously while you're doing in the whitetail woods as well. So there are many more awesome features on Onyx. Uh, and for, again, 30 bucks, I'm sure it's the one tool that you're going to use the most this upcoming season. So go check them out over at onyxmaps.com and download the number one hunting and in this podcast, we talked a lot about uh, about the clothing and gear for the backcountry. And the one piece of gear that was brought up is the, uh, uh, the Wick hoodie from First Light. It's an ultralight hunting hoodie designed for hot weather and high exertion. I have it. I love it. It's really uh, awesome. I love the durable with the 150 gram arrow wool construction. It's loose fitting hood, uh, so it's breathable and it has that concealment from the sun protection in the warmest conditions. This layer also features the 125 gram arrow wool mesh panels to maximize ventilation during uh, you know, like active hunts. And that's something too that I realized during turkey season when it started getting a lot warmer out. Uh, so it's amazing quality, amazing product, awesome people. Go check them out and all the other gear that we run over at firstlight.com. And last week was a big week for another one of our partners, and that's over at Sever Broadheads. They just released a brand new 2.0 and their Robusto Broadhead. Uh, man, it's awesome. And some of these new features include a new, more swept back blade angle, re-engineered deployment arm geometry, that two-inch cutting diameter that results in a 15% more efficient uh, penetration than the original 2.1. Uh, so, and what's really, really cool is if you go and buy your your extra blades because your ferrule is still in perfect condition they're now sending out the 2.0 blades so you get the newest stuff so you don't have to buy the brand new one if you don't need it but if you do you're getting the 2.0 so make sure you go check them out over at severbroadheads.com and the last one that we're going to talk about before we get into the episode is with the stabilizers i can't speak high more highly enough about the stokerized products uh awesome people and for my bow setup i'm loving the micro diameter stabilizer that m1 114 stabilizer uh, it's it's just awesome i love the way it balances my bow with my tight spot quiver on it eliminates vibration even more proudly made in, here in the pennsylvania and obviously here in the usa so check out the guys over at stokerized.com Again, thank you for, again for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's show uh, with Kevin. And until next time, Antler Up.
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast, and I'm joined today by Kevin Harlander with First Light. Kevin, how are you, man? Good. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you for so much for coming on. This is going to be an exciting episode. We're kind of kicking off our little Western series coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, we have Mark on from XO and we had Jared on from Onyx. So we've obviously now talking a little bit about gear. And I also want to pick your brain from being a guide for elk. Uh, you know, we won't be going out for elk this year, but uh, just kind of your experience of working with people kind of coming out. Probably you've had first time out West hunters, I'm sure. So just kind of, oh, yeah. you know, picking picking your brain a little bit for help and uh so pleasure to have you on man yeah i appreciate it it's good to be here yeah so before we get right into it kev could we talk about a little bit who you are where you're coming from and uh the one thing that we like to do is just ask about like how you got into hunting and you know something like uh, yeah. like one of your favorite uh hunting stores i i could probably pick which one that would be just with that nice big bull elk that you killed uh, the heartbreak elk but yeah. uh but yeah just tell yeah. us who you are and where, where you're coming from man yeah, man, for sure. Um, well, first of all, it's good to be here, man. I appreciate everything you guys do. And, um, especially with, with everybody at first light, they want to say hello. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, my Evan and, and, uh, I work at first light as the community manager. So I, that it's a pretty diverse role. Um, you know, my, my job is kind of divided into a few different categories, but, um, the majority of my time is spent working with, um, our industry relationships. So that's everybody from our pro team, um, to sort of our partners in the industry and, and the projects we work on, spend a lot of time in the field with these guys, which is awesome. I think last year we got a hundred plus days and it was like between one twenty and one thirty or something. Um, so it's crazy, crazy amount of time in the field, which is awesome. We test a lot of gear. Uh, we do a lot of work, uh, on our R and D program, making sure everything's ready to go for, for the year coming, um, and beyond. Um, and then, you know, also I, I handle a lot of our guide and outfitter program. That's one of my responsibilities over there. So I work with a lot of guides and outfitters, making sure they're set up, making sure they're having good client relations. And we do a lot of referral based stuff with them too. Um, just making sure that, you know, people know who they are. Cause it's kind of the bread and butter. It's where I came from. Right. Um, I was, I was born and raised in Minnesota, um, in St. Paul, Minnesota and ended up going to college in Iowa, played baseball in college. Nice. Um, at a little school in, in uh, Northeastern Iowa called Loris college and started, um, really thinking about going out West when I was about 18, um, after my, my freshman year of college, um, I wanted to go out West cause my aunt and uncle were both firefighters back in the day, wild and firefighters. And that always seemed like something I could do. Um, so I was just really stoked to, to be able to go out West and have that be a career option, you know? So I started out right, right after my freshman year of college, um, and fought fire, uh, four years of, of my college career. And then one year after, um, and that's what got me to Oregon, man. And that's, that's really when my eyes were open to sort of this vast expanse of land and, and seasons you can hunt. And, right. you know, I like to tell guys like growing up in Minnesota, we had, um, a lot of opportunity to hunt ducks, geese, um, upland birds and then deer obviously it's a big deal deer camp was a big deal but you know I, I grew up fishing more than i did hunting so we always went to deer camp we always did a little bit of stuff but i got into waterfowl hunting when i was in in high school um and then you know that sort of like transcended and it's like i, I want to do this a lot more yeah so when you come out come out west man it's like we we don't really our season never really closes you know you can hunt predators all the way through the winter and um run dogs if you need to if you want to through we just got back from a really sweet uh, hound hunting trip last I saw weekend. That. I saw you just posted about that. That looks pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Incredible experience, man. If, if that's kind of a, uh, 
subtle plug to, to go check that out. Cause that, that was a really sweet trip. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I got out West. And then, um, I started guiding elk hunts, uh, with a good buddy of mine and, and worked there for a while. Um, while I was also managing the marketing and sales for a brewery in Eastern Oregon. So I kind of had a couple different gigs, um, obviously cause elk season only goes, uh, for archery elk only goes a month. So, um, outside of that, I was working in marketing and sales and saw the first light job pop up and through some connections and some interviews, I got the gig and here we are. Nice, man. That sounds pretty cool. And it's just like a whirlwind for me, even just as a teacher, I started actually going from hotel restaurant management, you know, like you were saying, playing college ball and just figuring your path out, man. It's just, it's cool how things go and you end up doing what you love. That's pretty neat. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, like you say, growing up Minnesota and, you know, whitetail hunting. And you said you you even fish more than you, you, you did hunt. Yeah, we grew up um, sort of the heartland of Minnesota, you know, between St. Paul and central Minnesota is just riddled with lakes. And it was something we could do every day after school growing up in the city. Um, So we always came from a fishing family, you know, from my grandpa and grandma all the way down to every cousin that I ever had. Um, Everybody fished together. That's kind of what we did. Um, It was also something that was really accessible for us, too. You know, much like a kid growing up on a farm, um, after the work's done, you get to go play a little bit. So right. our world was based around the lake for sure. Um, so we caught tons of panfish, walleye, bass, muskie, whatever, you, you name it, we were after it. <laughs> um, and then sort of that, that's just kind of like the ability for us. Like my parents were always kicking us outside, you know, we were always outside all the time. Um, come from a family of three boys. So it was probably havoc for my mom. She's yeah. a saint. Um, but yeah, so we fished our whole lives growing up and we would hunt sort of like as weekend warriors, you know, we didn't, we never took time off to hunt really maybe like the Friday before the deer opener. Um, but then I started getting into waterfowl a little more too. Um, and that was something that was accessible when I was in high school cause I got a truck and I could zip out and be in a spot. Um, and it's just sort of like perpetuated this love of being outside, you know, it was from, from the young age of fishing and camping and just being outside to, um, more specific pursuits, I think. Right. Right. Um, and I've been able to hone that over time, I think for sure, especially being out West. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know kind of even going back to this past year, like you were saying about working a uh, hundred plus days in the field, I know you had that really cool Missouri trip with Taylor Chamberlain and all that yep. from, you know, we talked last time he and I about that. He said that sounded like just such a cool uh, trip in general, testing out some new gear. And uh, man, I, yep. you know, just even as a plug for the whitetail stuff with Greg, you know, that. I know you talked about coming from like that Midwest, you know, that sanctuary kid is, is the, is the bomb. But for me, man, I, I really love that solitude kid. I know that's like your, your home run, you know, bread and butter for, for the whitetail stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. That thing is sort of the armored truck of it, of yeah. it all. It can kind of go from that early October all the way through the end of the rut. We actually hunted that and the Missouri trip was cool. Cause we just kind of picked a spot on the map um, through some connections we had and went down to this huge public piece of ground where you have to hike in quite a ways. And, um, we were saddle hunting, so we just had our sticks in our saddle and we're just picking places on the map and ended up kind of team killing a deer, which is really cool. We, we figured a way to kind of basically we spread out along this pinch point and we knew, we knew deer were going to come through there. Yeah. Uh, it was just a matter of time. And, and Taylor ended up arrowing one great deer. Um, but that the solitude kit itself is just built off of this, um, conception of, you know, you shouldn't be uncomfortable in the tree. Yeah. So growing up, you know, we were, I was wearing like heavy duty wool, flannel, <laughs> cotton, Carhartt, whatever it was. Right. Um, but that's not really made to insulate your body. It's made to be basically workwear, you know? Right. So the, the combination of silence and insulation and that solitude kit is pretty standalone. I, I would argue in the industry, it's incredibly movable. You can hike in it. 
um, with those zippers, it zips all the way down your pant leg. So yep. you get a lot of uh, versatility. Um, it's just a piece that now with the jacket, the bibs in the jacket, it's something that never leaves my truck once like mid October. Once we'll start, we'll start a whitetail tour here in, in, in October, middle October. And um, it's just, it's just a standalone piece. Like if I had to pick one thing, right. It'd be a, a furnace base layer and the solitude. Cause you can basically get through yeah. all those, all those certain times of the year with the same kit. Yeah. 100%. That's exactly what I did. Actually, the the video that I have of my whole whitetail kit online, someone recently just posted on there about like the, uh, the sizing and like, what's the temperature you could go to. And, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before for me, I'm a medium in everything. So like sizing fits and the way you guys do it, it's not that you have to layer more to, to go up on yeah. a size, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, so I even wrote that to the individual and also said, you know, depending on your layering system, you could wear, like you said, the furnace, maybe if it's like in the teens, like, cause I, I mean, here in Pennsylvania, later on in the season, when I did get to that, I was up in the stand. I mean, I wore the furnace, a, uh, Klamath hoodie. And then I think the catalyst, like when it was first thing in the morning yeah. and then threw on that solitude. And then later on in the oh, day, yeah. I was able to take off the catalyst and just wear the the solitude with that. So yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a great piece, man. I, I well thought out and, uh, you know, we could get a little bit here shortly, uh, talking a little bit about the Western kind of clothing, just because again, that's something new for me and, and to Dimitri as we come out. Um, you know, I, I bought some, some, previous stuff here coming up that I won't, we'll talk about, but before we do that, Kev, talk a little bit about what's the kind of mentality do you think someone needs to have as they're getting ready to come out there? I mean, first off, like just to give you a little bit of background for, for us on our trip coming out, this will be my, my first backpack backcountry like out west trip so i mean uh, the buddy our buddy tim who we're coming out with he's done it he's had success he's shot uh beautiful elk last year in idaho shot a beautiful elk or i'm sorry uh mule deer two years ago in idaho so he's kind of like hey i'm let's do he wants to do a different state so we drew uh a tag mule deer tag out out in utah so we're going to be hunting about five days uh, and you know, so kind of talk about that mentality. What does someone need to do to prepare mentally to come out there for that first trip? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we actually handle this one a lot because there's a, a the beautiful thing about first light is it's so inclusive, you know? So everybody, uh, we talk to everybody who's hunted elk for 30 years to somebody who's just stepping off the, off the truck door to go. Um, I think the biggest thing from my perspective is to know your gear before you go. So that means like, you know, if you buy an XO pack, you should be wearing that thing every day, a couple yeah. miles around, around the sidewalk, whatever it is, you know? So I think the the pitfalls that most people run into is they get all this shit, right? They get tons of stuff, right? Which is great. You got to have a, a certain amount of stuff, um, but they never use it. And they also don't uh, prepare physically. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. So anybody like I'm 29 years old, right? I'm still at the age where I can probably do nothing all summer and run up a mountain on opening day, be a little gassed, and then, you know, hunt for three, four days. And the, the thing that I noticed though, is that my recovery time is just trashed, okay. right? That's what's going to happen to you. Like you can, you'll go balls to the wall for on, on day one. Um, and your recovery time is going to take a little longer and longer every day if you're not in shape. So the ability to kind of like find a hill wherever you are, if you're in Minnesota, which you know, the highest point in Minnesota is like a thousand feet. If you can figure out a way to get some, uh, good cardio exercise, um, that's a good, good starting place. Um, the other thing too, 
from the mental side of things is just to understand like things move a lot slower in, in, in Western hunting, especially it's like zero to 60 in one minute. And maybe you're staring at the same hillside for three days. So mentally preparing yourself to, um, to watch a lot of country to spend a lot of time behind the glass and to adapt as you go. Um, that's, a, that's a big ticket item. I think when you talk about, um, you know, sort of like we can get into more tactic and stuff later, but the, the first like pivotal portion is to try to be in shape, to know your gear and to utilize it. Um, and to understand, um, you know, the country you're going into. Right. right. So I'm not, I'm not a big e-scouter. I, I don't do a lot of time, you know, finding specific drainages or specific water. I've kind of got to that point now where I'm, I'm, I'm knowing the country where I'm going into usually. And if I do go to a new spot, I'm usually relying on somebody else's Intel. Okay. So I think it's really cool to call like Idaho fishing game, Utah fishing game, whatever it is, um, to get some insight because, um, especially if you call those guys and say, Hey, I'm thinking about this drainage here. Um, they're going to, they're going to give you information rather than just when you call and say, Hey, I'm coming out. Where should I go? Right. Showing that you've you've done a little bit of homework. Yeah. Yeah. And there's many ways to e-scout. We put out a cool blog post about that last year. Um, a lot of good information out there from Onyx and Gohan and all the others just to to kind of pinpoint where you want to be. Yep. Um, and the last part too is just remember, this is all fun. You know, a lot of people get way too serious about it. And I think, sometimes I get wrapped up in that too, where it's like, you get so hung up on this goal of killing a 200 inch deer or 300 inch bull or whatever it is, kind of keep your expectations in check a little bit because, you know, coming from Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Wisconsin, wherever, this is a whole new country, man. It's just a different beast. Um, and yeah, be patient with yourself that way too. Yeah. That's the thing I know myself and Dimitri, we've, we've said before our expectation expectation right now is basically come out there take it all in, you know, hunt as hard as we can in a sense of knowing that we, we push ourselves, but like you said, not kind of like enjoy it. I'll be taking the camera with me. So I'm going to be trying to document all of it, take some pictures, film, um, all that and all that fun stuff. But at the same time, like if we're glassing and we see a nice fork, fork buck, this is going to be that first time where we could really put on our first stock, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, and go for it. And, um, you know, that's, is it an archery tag? Yeah. So we're going up. For the, yeah, man, we're, we're going up right for the opener. Uh, it was kind of that cause it's in an area too, where we could get an over the counter elk tag, but like I said, we'll be hunting probably, I would say honestly, five solid days because I think that sure. opening day is when we're going to be kind of getting there. So we're going to just kind of go out and hunt obviously. But, um, so I would say five solid days. And then, uh, I said, well, why don't we just focus on, on, a, on a mule deer? And so, the- yeah, that's a good call, man. And people get a, a little overzealous sometimes too. And sometimes you get distracted. I know I get distracted. If I have an elk and a deer tag in my pocket, you kind of turn into like squirrel, squirrel. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting part too, like a, a lot of guys around our office that are big mule deer hunters and the, the thing that they'll say specifically is if you can figure out a way to get to that unit, especially in summer hunting, which is August, which is when you'd be hunting. If you can get to that unit, at even two days before the season opens, those deer are going to be where they're going to be. Right. They haven't moved. They're not going to be in their like midsummer, um, lack, you know, they haven't shed all their velvet. So they're going to be in their summer patterns. So being able to watch those deer before the chaos ensues and everybody gets in the woods, it's pretty helpful. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, t- Tim will be going out next month actually to go kind of put a little bit of food, you know, uh, boots to the ground. And then we have someone that we know and actually an in- another individual who lives around the area. We're actually going to have him on our podcast coming up just because he's from Pennsylvania, moved out there 
for I think quite a few many years now, and he's actually been a very successful uh, Western hunter. So we're going to bring him on, talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, but he's been kind of giving us a little bit of intel. So just kind of like, hey, it looks like he's never hunted that area, I don't think, but he's, you know, he knows the the area specifically. And he just says, hey, you know, there there's going to be some aspen groves that you're going to be able to get to for some sage bush like on the hillside that looks like some good habitat for mule deer so you know our goal is to like you said just trying to tim we're, we're doing a little bit more of e-scouting just because we've never been there um yeah, but yeah, hopefully with, you know but for right now like we were saying tim will be there next month to put some boots to the ground to kind of look at and kind of hopefully any of the waypoints that we've already marked just either say hey this is either a lot you know better density of, of what we could definitely get into or not. So we're, we're kind of, yeah. you know, anxious to see what he kind of pulls through out after that trip for sure. Let's take a quick break to thank our partners over at Cobra Archery. The Cobra Archery Harvester release is a release that I'm using because of the total adjustability it has to offer. What I love about this release is the, uh, the UTS, the unified trigger system. Uh, you could change the length, the angle, the rotation of the thumb trigger. So set to your specific liking. Uh, and it's so easy to do it just quickly and securely with just one screw. So make sure you check out this harvester release over at cobraarchery.com. Yeah. You know, just personally speaking, like I think that having somebody on the ground that, you know, or somebody that can tell you about the unit is probably tenfold, yeah. um, or somebody that can even hunt with you. Cause that's, that really is in my opinion, uh, I'm not a very good e-scouter that way. So I like to learn from other people. Yeah. So I, I tend to try to find somebody who could at least walk me through what the country looks like or even go for a couple of days. Um, I, th I think that I, I just kind of respond to that sort of learning a little better, you know? Yeah, for sure. And we'll, we're at, we are actually driving out, so it's going to be a, a fun, yeah, it's going to be a fun 26 hours in the truck coming out there. Oh, and, man. Yeah, dude. Totally worth it though. Yeah, it definitely will be. And for me, it's actually like right before school's going to start. So I'm actually not coaching football this year. So I'm it like this year I'm, I'm designated, that time to get ready for, for, uh, the mule deer hunt. Then October, I'm hopefully going to be hitting up Ohio. Um, Sweet. yeah, man. So it, it's going to be fun. Hopefully I could even get down with Taylor a little bit, just as long as he's yeah. still around, you know, but, um, oh, yeah. you know, so let's talk a little bit about the technique. Cause I know something, uh, that's going to be brand new for us is, is going to be the glassing and stocking specifically, you know, what, yeah. you know, what are some things that we should be, um, you know, ready for, and it basically like, you know, here's that, you know, that first time that you've done it basically. And, and it was an eye opener or, or something that we could kind of expect or, uh, for anybody going out there for that first time. Yeah. I've blown a lot of stocks, <laughs> a lot of stocks. I mean, uh, especially on other animals too, like antelope. Um, I think it's good practice, you know, for mule deer. The cool part about mule deer is they're pretty patternable in right. that early time of year. That's what we um, heard. <laughs> so, the first day when I'm ever mule deer hunting and I, I have yet to kill a mule deer with a, with a bow, just rifle. But even, even in, in being with guys and, and watching it happen, the best mule deer hunters are watching deer a lot. So they'll take that first day and they'll just watch a buck. You know, they'll watch where he stops at 2 PM, maybe gets water over here. Maybe he lays down here. They're pretty patternable that way. So I think taking some time to just understand what the country does, um, and then familiarize yourself with what the country looks like on your map too. Because if you use Onyx or anything, you can, you can figure out a way to get to that spot where you're going to kill them. Right. Um, but sometimes the country looks way different, right? Maybe there's a bush there that wasn't there on, you know, on the map or what you could see from your glassing point. So I think spending a lot of time glassing the first day, 
understanding how those deer move. Right. And then when you're, when you're up for the stock, just be really patient. Obviously you hear that all the time. And that instinct, I think humans have an instinct that they just know when to go, right. You know, when to stop, you know, when to go. Um, and I think you learn that as you go and as you, as you try this thing a little more and, and get, get deeper into it every year. But you know, the majority of the time, I think people blow stocks because of wind, right? That's, right. that's the major thing. And mule deer, man, they'll run 50 yards and stop and look at you. Right. Yeah. But I think that they're on like a white tail that way. But I think, um, I think the biggest thing with wind is just understanding how it changes through the day. Um, you know, in the morning, you're going to have different thermals in the afternoon and then midday it's going to be swirly. So picking that window, um, is really important too. And then understanding how fast you can move across the country. Um, that's a big deal as well. Yeah, no, that's the one thing again, like Mark kind of brought up from EXO is about how, like just how you know when to go, when, know when to stop. Uh, and that was one thing that even I think they're doing on their hunt back country podcast right now, they're doing talking a little bit about a mule deer, mule deer series as well. And that's kind of the big tip that, you know, Dimitri and I were kind of talking about just like, okay, our mentality, we just got to be ready for that. Cause that patience is, you know, right now for the whitetail, it's like, okay, we're up in the stand, we're up in the saddle. It's like, we have that clear opportunity. We got to draw back if we right. have that, you know what I mean? So we have to know when, to have that little bit of patience. And, uh, so that's something where if you talk to my wife, she'll say I have the least amount. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, so that's something that we're, we're going to have to, to work on. And, you know, obviously if we're excited for man, and it's just something that we're, we're gearing up for and talking about gear, we talked a little bit about the whitetail side of things. Now, what, sure. what are about some of the, th the items that, you know, are definite must haves. And, you know, the one thing that we always hear and talk about are our base layers. You know, look, talk yeah. about it is going to be that August. It's going to be early. Uh, I, you know, right off the bat, I have the wick, um, crew short sleeve shirt. I have the wick hoodie. That was, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming will be my bread and butter base layers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And I think that the biggest thing to start with, you know, besides the gear that we make is starting with your feet. Right. Okay. Um, so I like to wear a boot for early season that's going to be a little softer okay just because it's it's pretty crispy at times in, in the woods you know i probably haven't seen a lot of rain in august it, it'll probably be pretty dry um especially i'm assuming utah will be pretty dry i'm not really familiar with where you're going but i think the biggest thing is to start with a pair of boots that you're going to be able to wear for five six days straight um and don't underestimate the power of a camp shoe man whether it's a crock or a flip-flop uh just to be able to get out of them and dry your feet out and and uh and not be in those things all the time, right. but where get a pair of boots that you like, wear them a lot. Um, like I'll start wearing mine probably like first of August out here just to like re-familiarize myself, you know, just day to day, what that feels like to have them on your feet for eight hours or whatever. Yep. Um, uh, and then when it comes to like gear, I think that you nailed it, uh, with the Merino. I mean, you can't go wrong. It's going to, you're only going to have to bring one or two shirts because for a five day period, you know, I'll wear, I'll have one pair, wear one pair of pants, one pair of shirt right. or one, one, one shirt. Um, the wick hoodie is great because you get that sun protection when it's hot. You also get concealment down your arms, which I, I find to be really important. Um, for the bottom layer too, I think in that country, you can't go wrong with either the obsidian, uh, Merino wool pants or the corrugate guide pants. Right. Um, if it's going to be a little rougher country where you're going to get, be getting into really scrapey sage and some of that rocky, uh, high alpine stuff, the saw bucks are actually a good option too. Okay. Um, basically those are 
the whole it looks like an upland bird pan, you know. Right. So you've got reinforcement all the way up the leg, um, so they're pretty tough. Um, but those obsidians, man, can't be beat for the no. backcountry. They're I, just they're I love so them. breathable. They don't hold they don't hold um, odor at all. Um, and you can just if you happen to like get blood on them or you you know step in a mud puddle or whatever it is, you can just dunk them in the creek and they'll be dry um, pretty pretty instantly. Yeah, they so. were they were a home run for me uh, this past turkey season just because with mm-hmm. you know I don't get a chance to hunt turkey a lot just as coaching baseball. So this past season, obviously with COVID and everything, I was out as much as I possibly could get out and. I wore them every single day uh, that that I was out, nice. and man, they're just they're awesome. Uh, durability was, they're also was quiet, great. Man. yeah, super <laughs> super thing, quiet, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. so I have those, and then I have the new uh, guide light pants, the corrugate yep. guide light pants. So uh, you know, I feel like you know with those items that I have, I feel pretty solid. Um, like you were saying, it's going to be pretty warm, so my my next thing that I have was that sawtooth vest, just in case if it if it would get a little bit colder at night or something like that, or in the evening, that was going to be yeah. just something to have. And I know, I think I've listened to you on a podcast before talk about you, you like wearing vests and all that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, I do, man. We just came out with the Corrigan guide vest and that, that thing's pretty bomb proof. Um, the other one I'd recommend too, especially for backcountry application is some kind of puffy jacket just yep. cause it weighs nothing. Um, I keep a Brooks down sweater in the top of my pack right on the lid. Okay. Um, just because I, I think that that piece of gear is um, it's made for that, like 20 minutes in the morning, maybe an hour at night, you know, yeah, you can hike in it, you can strip it off really easy. It packs down, you know, less than an Nalgene bottle. It's like really small. Um, it's virtually weightless in my opinion. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, in the Uncompadre 2.0, that's what I actually had that. And I wore that actually three days this past Turkey season because there were two days that we had snow here in Pennsylvania. Um, so that was like my morning, you know, 3 AM. That's what I was putting on. Uh, and like you were saying, it's just easy to take off. And then I folded it back up in that little pillow, basically throw it in my XO pack and I was good to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good piece too. I think, um, for the earlier season though, it might be better to go with the Brooks just from like, a. uh, they're both really lightweight. I think you get more bang for your buck with the, uh, warmth wise with, uh, with the uncle Barre, but I, I do think that it, it shouldn't be that chilly. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Nice man. Well, and then talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some particular moving on. Like, so you talked about the boots, we talked about your base layers and some maybe insulation piece that we talk about. What are, you know, the nitty gritty things for backcountry hunting that, you know, must haves, or, you know, like you were saying, like for me with my exo pack, I've been working out with that. Every time I go over to the track, there's a good amount of, of bleachers. So I'm throwing that on, I'm, I'm running up them. I'm doing all different types of things. When I'm walking my dog, I throw it on and doing all kinds of just getting familiar with that pack and how it shifts and how, and I throw some sandbags on it just to see how it wrote, you know, feels on the back. But, you know, what are some other things that are, you know, talk about whatever tent or, or sleeping bag and packs and all that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. So early season, uh, like what you're, be, what you'll be in, um, I usually just run a shelter and a tarp and a sleeping bag. Okay. Um, you know, kind of from all over seek outside makes a good, good tarp. Um, and honestly, a lot, a lot of time I'm just sleeping on a pad, um, just because it's so warm. Um, we make a really sweet line of tents with Nemo too, as yeah. well. Um, the one per, or the two person spikes pretty sweet. I think the, um, the weight of all these things is getting lighter and lighter. So it's almost uh, sort of negligible. I mean, there's not really a, a case use for not bringing it, right. but just my style, man, I like to go light and fast. So I'm, I'm more 
willing to wake up with a sort of little bit of dew on my sleeping bag and just shove it in there and in my pack, then, then have to, you know, take down a tent and do that. You'd be set too with like a, I think there's a couple different options of sleeping bags, but I always just carry the zero degree bag um, from Nemo just because it's, it's just a little bit heavier than like say the 30. Um, but you know, you never know what you're going to get into, right? You right. could get a freak snowstorm. And if, if, if you have one line of defense, you can always crawl into your sleeping bag, you know, and wait it out or whatever. Yeah. Um, I also use my sleeping bag once in a while for day hunting for like a blanket if I'm glassing for a long time too. Um, so that, that's a good little hot tip. I, I think that it's, it pays to have a good sleeping bag cause you always sleep with it open or vented or whatever you need to do. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm putting my pack together too, one of the things I've switched this last couple of years is carrying a pair of rubber, rubber gloves in my kill kit. Something I never did before. I just thought it was kind of sissy lala to like have, <laughs> have gloves, but I'll tell you what, it's extremely nice, man. You just stay so much cleaner. Uh, the meat stays cleaner. I think you're not like, um, you know, transmitting a bunch of stuff from one end of the animal to the other. It's easy to brush hair off those gloves versus a sticky hand. And they actually, the heavy duty, like latex ones last a pretty long time. So you can like pour water on them, clean them up and keep going. Um, and then I always try to carry like a super, super bright headlamp because nothing dies in the middle of the day, man. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's, I think the the brightness level for me is, is a huge deal, especially when you're trying to efficiently and, and, um, you know, responsibly cut up an animal that that's a kind of been a game changer, something that's got a lot of lumens. Now, are um, you, are you, uh, going like rechargeable battery one or are you going, going with two? No, no. Okay. I just usually, I carry two. I have one that's a black diamond and one I think is a, anyway, they both uh, just run AAA batteries and I always leave, I always bring a couple extra batteries at least to re you know, get one going again, but right. I always carry two. Um, I think it's just smart. You never know what could happen. Right. And then what about, uh, as like you were talking about, what pack are, are you running? And, uh, like, do you go for different sizes? Like I'll be running the XO 4,800, you know, like I said, we'll be going yeah. for like five day hunt. Um, do you just stick with one or are you going to, like, it doesn't matter how many days you're, you're rocking. Yeah. Day hunting. I'll usually use something smaller, but I think yeah. anything from the 3,200 to the 48 is great. I, I think you can, you can fit five days of gear in there. No problem. Um, I also like to have a little, like some creature comforts that I bring with. I'm like, I'm not a guy that'll like cut a toothbrush and have to save weight. Yeah. Um, I also like to bring some real food once in a while too. Um, especially if it's like a long stay, I'll, I'll put like five or six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches together and just smash them down. Yep. Um, just cause there's something about like my body responds much better physically to real food. Um, although the, the dehydrated meals are getting a lot better. Um, but yeah, you should have no problem with that 4,800. That should be plenty. Yeah. Speaking of food, I, I know for, as far as, uh, some of the pre-packaged stuff, we'll be trying some of the peak refuel, probably some nice. of the Heather's choice stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I know I've tried to, the peak refuel a couple of times, just going out when I was scouting around once the season was done in January or whatever, and we were going out and about. So yeah, I just, uh, Figuring out, I just got some black rifle instant coffee, so I have my coffee fix going on uh, in yep. the back country, man. So yeah, we're we're uh, I think we'll be okay as far as food goes. I mean, my plan mm -hmm. is going to be just grab like a a gallon zipper bag uh, and just throw in like each day a meal yep. in there. That's kind of like the my role. Is that something that you do as well? Yeah, I usually meal plan pretty heavily. I try to um, make sure that I'm you know well-equipped food-wise. Yep. I think, um, that's one thing, like if I don't eat well, man, I get like delirious. And I think there's, 
there's a certain point where you're just like, I, you got to eat, you know? Yeah. So I think like carrying a little extra food is always helpful. The other thing too is, um, that far on the scouting thing, but I think scouting some water sources is going to be super crucial. Yeah. yeah. Cause like, there's nothing worse, man, than running out of water. And I think, um, you know, carrying a, an, an algae in, uh, in your, in your side hip and then, um, you know, keeping some sort of camelback or whatever in your packs crucial. Um, and then, you know, a good water filter too. Uh, that's, that's a huge deal. Yeah, no, we just finished up get, getting all those fixings, uh, figured out for what we'll be running and everything like that. And then, you know, going to a little bit about back to that mentality thing. I know right now is the time where everybody's shooting their bow, getting that dialed in. Uh, what are you, or what are tips that you could give to someone as far as getting ready to come out there? Cause like someone like me, I love shooting the total archer challenge. And you know, this year it got pushed to actually when we'll be coming home from our, our hunt. Yeah. So, um, my buddy's going to be, cause we're, we're, going to be sponsoring a target on the knock on course. And so we're going to be doing a bunch of giveaways throughout that whole weekend. So he's going to be running it for us. And my goal is to get back Sunday. But I looked at that last year when I was there, like, man, this is a great opportunity to go out and like try different shots and a 90 yard uphill shot, obviously, you know, probably wouldn't take that shot on an animal, but at the same time, it it's getting you mentally, you know, are you capable of doing it now? So for me, I'm like, okay, shooting, like today, right before we got on, I came back. It was my mother-in-law's uh, birthday, so shout out to her. Happy birthday. But we, uh, uh, before she got home from work, I'm stretching it out to like 65 yards. That's about as, as far as I could go in their, on their property line at the moment. You know, I'm starting to get pretty pretty good right now where, for where I'm at um, as far as, as, as my groupings go. Um, but obviously, I want to stretch it out a little bit further just because I want to be, if I'm comfortable shooting at 80 yards, then if there is that opportunity at 60, I want to feel comfortable. Um, so again, I, you know, we're going to be Northeast Utah. Like you said, I don't really know the, uh, the terrain per se right now at the moment. Uh, like, uh, like I said, I know it's going to be a little bit more thick from what we have heard. It's going to be more Aspen kind of territory. Um, so like, what are you doing to prepare for, for that hunt just as far as your shooting ability goes? Yeah, that's a good call. I think, um, it changes throughout like in July. Um, and this is specific to me, right? It's not regimented. It's yep. not like no way to do it, but, um, I shoot my bow in July three days a week. And I, I go a group at 20, a group at 30, group at 20, group. I shoot at 20, 30 yards for like 30 arrows. Um, and then at the end of the session, I shoot a group at 50 and a group at 60. Okay. Um, and all I'm working on there is just like relearning. Like we shoot our bows all year round, you know, because we'll go and do stuff down in Texas or whatever. So yep. um, if you're just picking up your bow again, it's good to like re, re-familiarize yourself with your habits, right? making sure your grip's good, making sure your stance is good, making sure that you're settling your peep and seeing that arrow through every time. Um, so I start short, you know, like in July, I just shoot short and I just try to stack groups as best I can. And then in August I'll shoot every day. And that's when I'm sort of putting the, the iron to the fire up until like mid August. I like that. Um, I shoot a lot, you know, we shoot every day at lunch and then I'll shoot probably sometimes twice a day. I just think it's good to just familiarize yourself. So it's like just second nature. Yep. Um, and then the thing that people forget, man, is like once the season opens, they quit shooting their bow, you know? So when that bull's at like 45 and you, you're only comfortable to maybe shot a ton at 60, but maybe he's 45 and he's downhill a little bit, that's going to change the game. So the, the difference in, in my like seasonality is I start slow, 
kind of get regain some confidence, get things going. And then I start hammering it hard without getting fatigued. I mean, it's just like baseball, right? When you're taking BP, there's a certain a certain point you hit where you're like, my swings turned into shit, yeah, right? Yeah. Because you're tired or whatever. So knowing when that stopping point is, is huge. And then, you know, when I get into season, I continue to shoot. One thing that I need to do a better job of and something I haven't worked on as much is because of the way we argue hunt elk. And that's kind of my main thing is, is elk hunting with a bow. I don't get a lot of shots that I'm like dipped over a log or up over, a um, you know, a, a cliff or something like that. It right. certainly can happen, but the majority of our stuff is happening in like these pseudo bedding areas, right? Where it's relatively flat, you're on a bench. And I, I think there's some interesting stuff out there about angled shooting. And that's why those archery challenges are great for that purpose, especially for mule deer hunting, man, you're going to get a lot of situations where maybe the best approach is, you know, a, a really sick angle. Um, and you know, maybe you're 10 yards away, but your 50 yard pin is going to be your best pin because of the way that, that, that angle is. So just understanding it, man, shooting a lot and, and understanding what the bow, how the bow is going to react to certain situations is pretty crucial. And for the final break of the day, let's thank our partners over at America's Best Bowstrings. I'm running a set of their Platinum Series strings on my bow, and I love everything about them between the custom color and obviously, number one, the performance. The technology and the quality of these strings are what stands out the most. The Platinum Series strings now come with a two-year warranty. The Premium come with a one-year warranty. So regardless, you're still getting the same unmatched quality and performance. Awesome customer service. Great product, great people. Go check them out over at americasbestbowstrings.com. Yeah, I know like this weekend I'll be shooting in a 3D shoot. Just one of, uh, uh, going to meet my buddy, Mike. He's he's actually the one individual that's going to be running like everything at uh, the PA Springs, uh, Seven Springs uh, tack for us. But so I'm going to meet nice. him. We're going to go shoot. And like for me, I'm just using it as that opportunity to go stretch it out again. And I like the idea yep. of, of what you're running with is you're, you're, you want to peak, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, you want to peak yeah, yeah. at that right time. And it's the same thing for the physical and mental aspect of it. So like, that's where, you know, I've been trying to, uh, you know, do everything that I can now so that as the time comes, I don't want to be like, Oh shit, I should have, should have done this. And, uh, back in Ju June or July of, I should have ran that hill that extra little bit or whatever. So, um, I like that idea of, of for shooting as well. Like you want to peak at that right time where you feel comfortable, you feel hundred percent confident where you're going. And, you know, I even texted him today. I was like, man, I'm like, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. And like you said, I'm shooting my bow multiple times during the week as well. But again, I'm, it's mainly that shot break. Let me see, make sure I'm feel good, but it's not, uh, every day that I could go out, stretch it to even 30, 30, 40 yards. So, um, you know, that's why when I have these opportunities, like I did today at my in-laws where I could get out to 65, um, and push it that little bit. And like, I try to take advantage of that and kind of like what you said, I'll go, I'll start in close. I'll do about around at 20, depending on if, if my groups where I, would like it to be then i'll okay i'll drop back maybe i'll shoot one at 25 just to make sure and then i keep gradually going uh but yeah man that's it's something where right now i i got a vxr 28 um so i'm trying to still get breaking that bow in a little bit being that it's a yep. new bow so yeah it's just uh it's one of those things where you just kind of fight it mentally where it's like okay you got to be be ready to rock and roll because like you said it, you might have to stock up on a on a mule deer where that angle is you know, it looks like I'm only 30 yards or whatever, but at that angle is going to be, like you said, that 50, 60 yard pin. Yeah, for sure. You know, the last thing I'll mention too, with, with regard to sort of the mental, um, 
strain of all this stuff is like, it's pretty incredible how the human body can move across the landscape. Yeah. Especially in the West. There's a lot of things that you're going to look at that are like, you know, 2000 feet away or whatever. And you're like, man, that's a long way, but you just got to go, yeah. you know, if there's deer there, you're just gonna have to go. And I think the same thing goes with shooting, right? Is like, you need to understand your capacity to, to what your ethical shot is going to be and understand how to get there. Um, but if you practice at 65 yards and you're, you know, hitting a, a if you're stacking arrows in there, man, um, you should take that shot, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the thing now, like, cause I know I, I love talking gear and all that type of stuff. Now, what kind of, uh, arrow setup, uh, like, do you recommend, you know, I know, like I said, I'm not going to be shooting, uh, elk, I'm not coming out for elk. So it'll just be mainly mule deer when I'm running here for whitetail. I'm in that 480 to, uh, like five ten for, for a heavy arrow, just basically depending on, you know, what, what the, the season is, if I'm late in the rut, I've run a little bit heavier just because I'll, I'm trying to get a little bit closer. Um, but you know, what would you recommend for coming out West that first time, you know, kind of sticking to that? Yeah. I think, you know, we shoot heavy arrows out here, man. We're pushing like five fifty at least. Okay. Um, but we're also shooting bows that, you know, are upwards of 75 pounds. And I think some people are like, man, that's overkill. And yeah, it probably is. But <laughs> the thing is, my, my thought is that you want to, you want to move enough energy from the stick that's leaving your bow to, to ethically kill that animal. Right. Yep. So everybody always plans for plan A. They're like, Oh, he's going to come to 30 yards. I'm going to shoot him through double lung and it's going to happen. But nobody really plans for plan B. Right. So we talk a lot about, all the things that can help you if you make a less than ideal shot. Right. Yeah. So we talk about heavy arrows, single bevel broadheads, I think are really crucial just because they carry so much more energy, uh, in their ability to, to punch through a uh, rib, whatever, you know, heavy arrow is going to is going to grant you a little bit of leeway at certain times. I think it's important too, to know what your bow can do. Right. So right. it's, it's understanding. And I'm by no means a physicist at all. You know, I, I'm not, I, can't have, can't tell you that what's going on when that thing leaves the, leaves the string. But I, I do know that because a heavy arrow, um, the results that I've had from it on less than ideal shots, like for instance, the heartbreak bull that we were talking about yep. earlier, that bull was a little bit and I hit him a little far back. Right. But because I was shooting a heavy arrow, I clipped one lung, just basically destroyed the liver. And that arrow lodged in that back end of the bull's femoral artery okay. and, and basically sunk into his hip bone. Right. So, and I could not get that arrow out of his hip. So if I would have been shooting a 350 grain setup, that arrow would have not got that far. And that bull probably would have been wounded and died, but that, that bull died 200 yards from where I shot him. Um, and you know, that's my fault cause I made a, a bad shot, but the result was a dead bull, you know, and, and that's the idea, right. Is, you know, it's the same thing about, yeah, you can shoot a deer with a, with a 243, right. Right. From 300 yards. That's great. But I, I think bigger is better, man. Yeah. No, that's what kind of our philosophy. And I actually just built a few up. I wanted to test them out, see how they were going. And they're actually, uh, they're Easton accessed. I'm running one. I built with 50, uh, grains of brass up front and the other had 75 and one weighed in at, at 540. The other one weighed in at 525, like right on the dot. And both are actually yeah. flying like super, super good. So I'm actually really yeah. pleased with both. So I don't know. I might actually split the dozen, like run, run it with 50, six of them with uh, six with 50 and the other six with 75, just because again, yeah. like I'm, I know what, what, 
that Bo is capable of doing. Um, and they both are, boom, they're right next to each other. So I'm actually really happy with both. So that's what probably going to be sticking with those as far as my hunting arrow. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. good arrow, stuff. Man. That's the same arrow I shoot. And I've shot that since like 2013 yeah. great arrows. Um, and then we talk about broadheads. I, I like single bevels because of their cutting power yep. um, and their breakability power. If that's a term, um, <laughs> I think that they, they inflict a lot of, a lot of damage. The one thing you'll miss out on is if you make a good shot though, they're not going to bleed because they zip through pretty well. Right. But if you hit them where you're supposed to, that deer will die in front of you, you know, yep. especially in big open country, like those big basins you'll be in. So nice. Now you talked about too, like about shooting your bow and all that stuff. What are you running as, as far as your bow setup? Um, right now it's kind of funny. I'm in the middle of testing three different bows. Nice. I've shot a Hoyt, Hoyt charger since 2013. Um, this thing is like the base bottom of the barrel, um, you know, economy bow. Um, but I've killed a lot of stuff with it and it's a great bow. Um, I'm comfortable with it. So I've been shooting Matthews verdicts prime, uh, CT three and what's the other one. And we tested some PSEs too. So I'm just trying to like, I'm making my, my move now to a new bow. Yep. So I'm really, really trying to, um, to work it out. And, and I think the VXR is going to be probably the winner. Uh, the verdicts I shot for a while and then, uh, just got a VXR. So that, that bow is sweet, man. Um, it's, uh, it's dialed. Yeah. Um, I just think that the difference is, you know, it's much like a shotgun for a, for a, for a bird guy. I mean, it's all about feel, right? Yep. So if that bow feels dead in the hand, that's, that's a winner. Yeah, that's, that's, and you know, too, it's kind of like going back to the baseball when you'd have that one bat, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that one bat, you just got a hold of one, you don't feel it and it just goes and just has that pop to it. Now I'd, I yeah. love, that's the thing. I love talking archery and love, you know, talking gear specific stuff. So man, that's pretty neat that, like you said, you're coming from an old Hoyt, you know, like you said, just killing yeah. a ton of, ton of deer to, you know, trying some new, new ones that are out now. And the thing right now too, is you can't go wrong. It seems like with any bow, like you said, it's just about how it feels for you just because they're all so good right now now it's just it's crazy yeah there's some differences in weight you know yep. especially in, in in just bear weight and then uh certainly in um some of the different technologies that are out there but you know for instance like in the tree stand i love the matthews because it's quiet so yep. quiet um but out here in the open country like what i'm looking for is like a, a beater bow you know something that i can <laughs> put, the, put the ring or two and it'll it'll perform um so that prime that prime's a good bow for that too yeah so there's a lot of differences out there, but like you said, I think 2020, the line of bows that I saw from everything, Bowtech, PSE, all the way to Prime and, and, and Hoyt and Matthews, they're all really good. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's like right now it's, I, for me being a school teacher, I love talking, like we teach archery in our, in, in my curriculum. So man, when that happens, I, I nerd out, like you nice. just see, you just see some kids and they're just like, what's way over their head. Uh, yeah. But man, it's just so fun. And then some, you know, they're like, man, I want to come hunting with you. I'm like, I would love to take you hunting. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just like, I just try to push it and, and uh, be that ambassador that I guess that I could try to be um, for them. And um, even some of these baseball kids that graduate, and go on and they stick around and they're like they see what we're doing right now currently with the podcast and social media stuff and they're like hey dins like i want to can we go hunting this year i'm like yes here's what we got to do we got to get your hunter safety course done and all this stuff and they actually some of them took it because when covid was going on it was they were offering it for free so that was a really cool yes it was a really cool thing where some of them did get it so now i'm like all right well they're like what you know they're going to go get their license now and so I told him, I said, let's get, go some pheasant hunting. Let's do some of that type of stuff just first to teach them how to, you know, 
work a shotgun and, and all that mm -hmm. type of stuff, man. So that's been, been pretty cool to see that kind of growth a little bit just from, from some of the kids that I've taught or coached and all that stuff. Yeah. That's an important part of the legacy of hunting as a sport, man, is introducing new people. And, and I think that's, uh, that's pretty admirable. I think, you know, we try to do similar things around here and, um, it's almost like doing it for the first time again, you know, yeah. that's, what's really cool. Yeah, no, really that's, cool. and for me, it's like, like you were saying, like I played baseball my whole life. It just seemed like that was the only thing I was ever good at. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, so then you're coaching it and doing all this stuff. And now it's like, my other passion is obviously talking, hunting, do, and, you know, getting outdoors and raising my daughter to do all like whatever she's six. And even now she's going to be starting playing softball in, in this nice. little league right now. But, you know, it's just neat. Like you said, just to carry that on just because, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And I remember for myself when I went to college and got, didn't hunt as much. And it was like during that time, man, that's when I probably should have hunted the most yeah. just because of what I was going through and all that stuff. But man, that, that's awesome. We're, we're just shy of that hour, Kev. And I just, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on and, you know, talk about before you get off, like what, what, what does 2020 hold for you? I know right now with COVID throwing a wrench into some plans that you had for Texas this past spring and everything. So like, what, what's the fall look like? What are you, where are you hunting and, and, uh, got going on? Yeah, it's going to be busy, man. It, it did kind of throw a wrench into things, but we're trying our best to kind of pivot and do, do some different things. So, um, we'll be hunting or I'll be hunting, uh, I drew a mule deer tag here in Idaho that starts August 15th, but that's with a rifle. Um, so that's going to be really fun. I've never hunted them uh, in the velvet like that. So yeah. that'll be sweet. We'll start off there and then we'll go into elk season pretty heavy. We've got a couple trips coming up and then we'll, we get to hunt on our back door basically here in Idaho. So we'll spend September doing that. Um, and then I'll be over in Montana for archery elk tag as well. Nice. Um, and then we'll roll into our mule deer season. We can get a second tag with a rifle. So we'll probably hunt around here for that. Um, and then we'll run into, I'm going to hunt Kansas this year for whitetail and Nebraska, Kansas, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Texas, I think. Um, so that'll be super full and fun. And, um, I don't mean to sound braggadocious, man. We're just like, we're out there getting, getting after it and testing gear and, and doing what we need to do. And, um, we're, we're really blessed to be able to hunt, hunt a lot, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I know, you know, uh, just even from the PA outdoor show this past uh, year, you know, talking to, to Bridget and talking to Greg and, you know, messaging back and forth with him. I know there's some cool things coming out in the future as far as whitetail line is concerned in the future for, yeah. for first light. So that's exciting stuff, man. So, Hey, thank you so much for coming on Kev. Where could people find you or, or, or follow first light and all that stuff. If, if no one is, yeah, man, first of all, check out first light. We're first light hunting on Instagram and firstlight.com. Um, you can find me at Kevin Harlander on Instagram, um, doing a lot of cool stuff over there. And, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions or whatever, shoot me a DM or, or send me an email. I'm at Kevin at firstlight.com. Um, always easy to get a hold of me and, and I'm basically on the horn all day. So give me a shout and we'll, uh, we'll talk through some gear and some trips and whatever you guys need to talk about. Awesome. Kev. Well, thank you so much for coming on and everybody. I hope you enjoyed that one. It was a great one. Uh, till next time, antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Kevin, thank you again for coming on. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did uh, recording this one. And if you did, go leave a positive review. Go leave a five-star. It helps us out. It continues uh, to help us grow and get better. Thanks you, thank you again for listening. Check out firstlight.com. Check out antlerupoutdoors.com. Until next time, Antler Up.